0: Welcome to our second episode of Fast Casual Insider. I'm Helen Jane Hearn, Director of Content for the National Restaurant Association. In this show, Plate Magazine's associate publisher, Jerry White, sits down with David Jones, CEO and co-founder of the Seattle-based Blazing Onion Restaurant Group. David has a lot to say about today's workforce challenges, and he'll share how he created his concept and how he's growing it in today's competitive market. As both a founder of a new brand and a franchisee for Subway, he brings a unique viewpoint to the discussion.
1: Well, good morning. We're talking with Dave Jones, founder and CEO of Blazing Onion Burger and Whiskey Bar out in the Seattle, Washington area. And uh, today we're on our podcast. We're going to be exploring some of the things that have been uh, innovative and disruptive in our industry, and then. In, um, Dave, I know you're a member of the, uh, fast casual industry council. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on there, but first, um, I'd like to, uh, have you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your concept.
2: My name is, uh, David Jones. Thanks Jerry for, uh, the introduction and thanks for having me on the podcast. I am in CEO and co-founder of the Blazing Onion Restaurant Group. We have, uh, whiskey bar and a smaller concept, uh, Blazing and Burger Company. And then we have uh, some sports lounges involved in the same uh, concept brand. We are a fast casual restaurant with a full service uh, uh, lounge, and we kind of navigate a hybrid between the two. Um, So we're always learning. We are seven strong right now, uh, all in the Seattle area. And uh, have uh, I've experienced uh, a lot of the wage uh, situations with the city of Seattle, and then uh, am now experiencing it with the state of Washington as they uh, move forward, kind of uh, mirroring Seattle, uh, but still in the background a little
1: bit. I see. Uh, Seems like there's always the one of the banes of being a restaurateur is compliance and uh, understanding rules that I think are in place to help you, but sometimes don't seem like they are. That's always a, an issue with us. But um, you mentioned, uh, Dave, uh, that you in your fast casual world there that you are kind of seeking a uh, a middle ground or a hybrid between fast casual and maybe an, another um, b- b- restaurant. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you mean by res- uh, hybrid.
2: Well, we are, I think we are one of the first to navigate the waters of combining a full service a lounge with a fast casual restaurant it's always a challenge because the customers come in and they uh at visual you look like you're a full service but then they discover you're fast casual we're fast casual in the restaurant side to let people kind of control their own uh their own service model so they can summon service whenever they want they can uh, choose to close or check at the uh the cash register, or they can choose to leave their check open to add more drinks and cocktails or um, dessert at the end of their meal. They could uh, choose to split their check at the end of the meal. However, they wanted to If Johnny suddenly decided that he was going to pay for his parents' meal Uh, doubtful, but that could happen. Uh, So we're ready for that. Um, So anyway, it's, it's fast casual to let the customer totally control their atmosphere and not be handcuffed by the server and their timeframes be on their own timeframes and summon service whenever they choose.
1: I see. And are each of your units the same configuration building-wise and so forth, or are they all different?
2: They're all different. Um, Because we're a new company, we are constantly been experimenting with size. So we started at 2,500. That was way too small. We grew up to uh, 4,500 and then we had a mall come to us and ask if we would go there, which we were flattered, but it was 6,600. And uh, we've kind of settled on that our ideal model is uh, four 4,000.
1: And what was it about uh, your concept that, uh, you know, led you to, to move in this direction? Why did you start Blazing Onion with your partner?
2: Well, it's my wife. And we started it because... Well, that's a we, partner, right? partner.
1: (laughs) In many senses of the word, right?
2: (laughs) The partner 24-7. Yeah, Um, right. Exactly. We went out on date nights on Friday nights, and we always like to do two activities because we work so hard, you know, we feel like we deserve two activities. So dinner plus. So it might be dinner and a movie, dinner and a play, dinner and a comedy show, but dinner plus. And we found that oftentimes when we went out uh, where we could get alcohol with our food that we were waiting for the check or waiting for the server to finally get to us or waiting for them to finish up another table. And to conquer that, we came up with this idea of what if we did the same atmosphere, but we did it in a fast, casual environment and gave the customer total control so they didn't have to wait uh, with what they're doing, but yet still sit and be comfortable and have alcohol and feel like they had all these things. So that was kind of our our idea in 2007 of of why we came up with what we came up with. And then the size and doing the lounge, the size that we did, it was really just from making mistakes, uh, discovering that we had this extra square footage in our second one, and we did a little small bar, and it was so popular doing the full service little piece that we decided, well, we need to do it bigger. And then on our third one, we did it bigger, and it was such a hit. It just, uh, just did crazy sales out the door, and was more than either of our other two stores combined. And we so we kind of discovered, okay, we're going to do these with uh, fairly large lounges and split it and be this hybrid where you can either go fast casual or you can go full service with the catch of the full service being in the lounge.
1: I see. Okay. So aside from uh, the, the uh, food, is that one of your distinctions about, you know, what you do different in the area out there of uh this so- so-called hybrid, letting the customer control this, more of this uh, experience?
2: Well, like many fast casuals, we also uh, believe in better food products. So we are prepping things from scratch in-house at each store individually, which is a, a major challenge to uh, make sure your chili tastes the same in all of your stores. But we we actually do that. So we're like each individual store is like a individual mom and pop in the way it's run Uh, as far as food made from scratch and uh, us sourcing uh, really high-quality products and everything. So we have that. Uh, We have our system that we think differentiates us. And then we've we've built these really nice places that you can relax and visit with someone or watch TV, whatever your preference is as far as whether you want to catch the game or whether you just want to catch the person you went to dinner with.
1: Mm -hmm. Are you um, finding that you're uh, sourcing a lot of your food uh, locally and you're serving product from the northwest say
2: we are local or regional in some cases to find a wild boar we don't have one locally that can supply us with the amount that we need so we are in colorado uh, sourcing the wild boar so there are incidents where we're uh, even our natural chicken we have to source because of the volume that we do so uh, we're not always local we're local whenever we can and when we can't, we stretch out of that and try to be regional.
1: Mm-hmm. so um Dave, uh, what do you find influences you most about what you're putting on the menu? Is it what your customers are asking? Is it uh, you know what you're seeing and reading about in the trades or visiting at shows? Uh, how do you decide what goes on the menu?
2: Well, it's a combination of everything. It's uh, from us uh, reading every article and traveling. it's from suggestions from customers it's really you have to just kind of have an open ear to the table at all times uh, so you don't get passed on something Um, we started the impossible burger before red robin launched it and uh, many of the fast food places launched it and it's been a real hit but we weren't first we were you know echoing that from other people that have done it in smaller uh,
1: concepts i see okay okay so we've been talking and hearing a lot about uh, this word disruption, uh, you know, and that could take the form of lots of things. Um, one of the things that a lot of people associate with that word is third-party delivery. That, to me, does seem to be a disruption. I always prefer the term innovation rather than disruption. But um, could you talk to me about some of the things that you are seeing out there that uh are either in the innovative or disruptive uh, area that affect your uh, restaurants?
2: Well, labor and uh, third-party delivery probably are on the top of their labor being twofold. One being uh, the wages that are uh, being demanded in our state and our city. And the second would be uh, just the lack of staffing that is available. Uh, it's, not, it's just not the same as it used to be. And then third-party would definitely be a disruptive, and it starts with the fees. And then from there, it moves to the execution, and the, even the coordination of just the books, how the admin works, has been a big challenge for a lot of restaurants.
1: Okay, obviously, third-party delivery is part of what you're involved with out there. You are seeing these services come and pick up your food to take the take the to their customers.
2: Yes, and uh, I, while I don't like being the uh, first person, the beta. Uh, we were one of the first, so we did experience the uh, service system uh, growth uh, issues with the third-party delivery providers. That was a big uh, deal, uh, as they wouldn't send a driver, or the driver came late, or the food came cold. Uh, we went through all of that. They seem to have gotten that down. We've negotiated better fees, so uh, we feel pretty good about that, and we're still working on implementing the best uh, to-go areas in the restaurants to work for it. And we're in the process of that. Our newest design store has that all laid out. So we're work- we're working on everything as we go. We feel pretty good. Our, our, we're pretty strong with our third party. And, uh, you know, getting the system down where everything's ready uh, the correct way and the drivers don't have to wait. And so you get good ratings. So those are all challenges that I think we're doing a pretty good job at yeah. moving forward.
1: And do you um, track your sales uh, separately? Uh, yes. from from the Liberty for in-store, in and that's probably the only way you can really measure that, isn't it?
2: Right. We track it separately, and we also measure the sales compared to last year without third party uh, to track cannibalization to make sure we feel comfortable that it's not trading customers, that it's a new customer base.
1: Yeah, that would be important. to track all of that all the time, too. Yeah. I think it's probably known um among your uh peers that you also uh operate uh subway restaurants, yes, do those restaurants also take advantage of third party or uh it's yes. not something that I normally would think of you know getting a subway delivered to my office or something, but uh it's a new world out there
2: yeah actually um subway is an awesome product for third party because the uh, sandwiched um can arrive even toasted. It doesn't have to arrive hot. And Mm -hmm. so the transporting it to someone's office works really well. Our one of our subways that's doing the third party has just, uh, gone up to 24% in sales through third party. And most of it's at late night when most people are sleeping. Um, we have people in offices that couldn't get out of their office that have discovered that they can order it through third party and get delivered that way. And actually it's been good for them and good for us. So it's been kind of a win win for our customers and
1: for oh, us. Oh it sounds like it. It sounds like it. So so were there a lot of things that you learned uh operating the subway restaurants that uh carried forward to Blazing Onion, or was it a completely different tactic that when you opened the restaurants?
2: Well, uh both. The the fact that a restaurant is a restaurant, a fryer is a fryer, a grill is a grill, right. um, a cold station is a cold station. That part carries over and teaches you all kinds of valuable lessons to uh, go out there and venture on your own. It didn't teach me enough because our first six weeks of operation was a nightmare that I could write a whole book on just those six weeks uh, from things that we just didn't know from care- trying to do it ourselves. But the there is enough similarities to help you venture out and to go do something on your own and enough so that I've kept my subways and just added one to my uh, portfolio because I feel like both of those worlds are very important and teach me lessons all the time.
1: Right. I read that. I think you launched your restaurants in the, uh, heart of the last recession or whatever they called it. Is that, uh, did that give you uh second thoughts or trepidations? <laughs>
2: Uh, you made me a fighter. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, 2007, we started our first and then we saw this great location in 2008. And we hadn't been open a year yet. And I'm going to the banks and the recession is just starting, but I didn't really realize we were in a recession yet at that point until mm-hmm. I talked to the banks and was turned down six times. And then the seventh bank, uh, finally said yes to us. Oh boy. And, and, and then when we, in 2009, we did our third store. And I was turned down 10 times uh, before a bank finally said yes. So each bank I'd make tell me two banks that might say yes. Uh, Everybody said on TV, hey, you know, get out there and get your small business loan. We're expanding. But in reality, the banks were whispering to you. They didn't want to be seen interviewing someone. And -hmm. they would say, you know, you may be really hungry, but we just can't do that. We can't do restaurants right now. And so uh, I, I think it taught me to fight. It taught me to don't accept no Find a way to make them say yes and keep painting your picture and keep trying to give your vision until they believe in it as much as you do.
1: Sure. Well, uh, it looks like your perseverance paid off there Um, and you will not be denied. But uh, that's pretty bold thinking uh, when a lot of people thinking that the country was going in a different direction back then. And uh, it might have been really risky to open something like a restaurant. But uh, I'm glad that you saw it through. Um, And if you look back now at uh, Blazing Onions history, would you say that the menu and what you're offering now is uh, the same as what it was when you launched? Or have you reduced the menu by items or added more? Where would you say you're at by now?
2: I would say we get a big F on reducing the menu. We talk about it all the time. We believe in it. We know why we should do it. And yet uh, our efforts to eliminated down uh, always end up uh, being very small they don't end up being very large so uh a for for thought yeah and for actually too yeah
1: so what what is your concern there Dave is it uh you're gonna take something off the menu that's uh a favorite or what what keeps you from making the menu that you really think you should have
2: well uh for one thing we have such a unique menu we have Ah, uh, twenty-two different burgers, and they're all uh, completely different. They're not just ones a cheeseburger, ones a double cheeseburger, ones a double cheeseburger mm-hmm. with bacon. You know, they're not they're they're m- way more innovative than that. And trying to figure out which one to take off, even though it's a lower seller, we feel like we're losing some of our identity when we do it. Sure, but we also understand that the uh, labor atmosphere we're in right now and the, the turnover that we face in our kitchens that reducing that menu might be the thing that helps us with our turnover and helps us with labor. So trying to balance both those worlds, we get what we need to do, we just haven't been able to talk ourselves into doing it at the rate that we should be doing it
1: at. I see. Well, it sounds like you're very conscious of uh, wanting to make that effort, but uh, you know it's going to probably take uh, two or three swings at the bat maybe to get it to where you need it to be. Sorry. our
2: our newest restaurant we're going to experiment by opening it with a uh less items on the menu from the beginning oh, uh, well. where it's a lot easier than reducing and just see how it how it measures that'll give us a good tool uh and confidence to move forward with the rest of the group
1: right um let me switch gears a a, a moment and go back to the uh fast casual industry council and your experience with that do you find that uh, the members of the council experience um you know, or go through some of the things, things that concern you, or do you find that uh, each restaurateur has a, a different um, set of problems to deal with? What's common among you?
2: Well, we, we we all have many of the same problems. Our mm-hmm. solutions different. Um, one person uh, is so large they can hire a company to solve that for them. Uh, as an example. Uh, uh, one of my stories was we were asked about real estate and two of the guys that were sharing how they map it and dah, 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 dah. And for me, I would go park my car at the intersection and count cars all day long and <laughs> try to add that <laughs> engineering report. And I ordered pizza to my car um, and never left my car. I was in my car all day long. And so it's just kind of a funny story of we, we might approach it differently because our sizes are different and our, our resources are different to conquer things. But uh, it sure helps all of us when we step back into our world and try to do things. It's kind of a mutual respect that the the committee has. It's a it's a wonderful committee to be a part of.
1: Mm. Yeah, I know you contribute a lot to it. So, uh, you know, l- let me kind of uh, sidestep from there and ask you, um, you know, what does uh, keep you awake at night? Is it the labor? Situation there, the minimum wage is, uh, and do you think it's uh, unique to Seattle or it sounds like it's happening in a lot of places?
2: I think staffing would be the only thing that would be able to keep me up at night. Almost everything is under your control as an operator. Uh, You have, I mean, you you sign the lease, you know what your your lease is going to be. You have controllable numbers like food costs that you can. Get in there and and make things different. You can have your prices be higher, or you can, you know, work on your portions, or you can negotiate with a uh, a vendor to get a better price. So you have all these things that are like that. But the amount of applications coming in and the way the world seems to be going with a less number of that for especially the kitchens, but even for my subways, uh, that that's a, a, one of those things that you sometimes just can't. Conquer on your own, and even hiring all the different uh, net, the companies that help you with staff, even sure. that sometimes falls short on what we need, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not getting better. The all the forecasts say it's getting worse, and every time I drive down the street, I see a new restaurant opening or a new development happening. And where are those employees coming from? It's just kind of a an ongoing right. situation that doesn't seem mm-hmm. to have an immediate. Because I just don't see. Uh, millennials suddenly deciding to have 10 kids each or something to bail us out.
1: Yeah. And do you think that uh, it's a symptom of the uh, unemployment rate and so forth? Or um, what do you think is fueling this?
2: Well, for one, the labor market, uh, all this uh, campaign 15 Now has kept the younger group from uh, getting jobs, and lots of times it's just an older group that's getting the job. So the, I think the younger population, the amount of younger people when I was a kid working, is probably ten times the number it is now, maybe higher than the younger generation even applying for work. So we're not mm. we're not getting that younger generation, and it's not just the the wage. There's other things. To it going on, but just uh, how we raise our kids seems to change generationally, also.
1: So, right, exactly, exactly. So, um, as you looked uh, in your crystal ball, uh, what times, kinds of things are you looking forward to on the horizon? Do you, do you think that uh, automation and uh, technology and whatnot, uh, robotics, uh, AI, is that going to be a help to restaurateurs, in your view?
2: It'll be a help to some. I, I don't know if it'll be a help to us. We, you know, we looked at we've looked at all kinds of things like that. The grill that rotates in a circle, almost like a toaster. Um, we've looked at things that would help us with timing and stuff. But we really cherish the fact that we do it from scratch and that you can watch us do it. Um, so some of those automations are while they are very cool, they're not necessarily for us. Uh, more of the automation of how to help people order faster and how we can order faster at the table um, Mm -hmm. uh, and process for uh, getting their credit card transactions done quickly and having a system that knows the customer. So when they log into it, it knows what they normally order and helps speed up their process because it, it asks them that. Um, I think those are the automations that we will uh, embrace and move forward with in our, in our crystal
1: ball. Yeah. I think you're probably right about that. Um, Do you think, um, you know, table-side ordering and payment uh, should be standard in most transactions or, or is that loaded with uh, problems as well?
2: Well, table-side ordering for us is just in the the lounge, the lounge area. Service. right? And our customers, we want to give them the choice. That's why we're doing the mobile thing because not everybody has to load the mobile app to come into our restaurant. So many people will not. In fact, the the majority of customers don't have a mobile app even though I get to cut in front of them at Starbucks and just go right up and get my drink, a lot of people don't get that yet. And so they're not using the mobile app uh, to all of its benefits and glories. So I think that that will be a growing segment that continues going up. But right now, uh, we're just you know trying to balance that world.
1: Right, right. Um, Dave, do you feel like that you um, are kind of responsible for the creating the culture of your restaurants uh, for your employees? Uh, you and your, your wife and partner, do you take an active role in kind of setting that uh, culture strategy?
2: I think uh, both Lori and I, are the one thing we share, she doesn't like to share anything. So she does what, <laughs> when she's working on something, I have to be totally separate and not look at her at the wrong time. or anything.
1: Oh, okay. I'm
2: kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but exactly. as far as brand direction, we share that 100%. And as far as culture, we share it hundred percent. What kind of culture we want to create as far as executing that culture, I would say she's out there doing that uh, way more than I am. She is uh, you know, she cares about each one of our team. We have 240 on our team. Each one of our team uh, is like uh, one of her children uh, and how she reacts to it. And, And that, that tends to add so much to the culture that while I can talk about it, the execution part, I have to give her a lot of credit, to.
1: Right. Well, that, that sounds like a good idea. You know, I've heard uh, one restaurateur say that uh, really what I'm concerned about today are what he referred to as the four C's. He says uh, culture and conduct uh, now become before cuisine and craft. And it's almost like, uh, yes, you have to put out a good product, but you know what, if it's not done in a way that our employees feel that are proud of it, that they can buy into our culture and we're doing something that we're very proud of, then it really doesn't matter in the long run. And I think that's probably some good advice to to take to heart. Um, so tell me uh, what you see uh, in the very near future. Do you see more, um, let's just say, uh, different types of menu items being added to your restaurant um, in the sense of uh, we mentioned this plant forward movement or do you think uh, the whiskey bar uh, also will take a bigger role in what goes on in your lounge there with the restaurant or where where is your concept headed?
2: I think we're headed toward adding a small, uh, fast, casual version to our group that will be more like 1,500 square feet uh, that will uh, be more franchisable. Um, so that's that's probably the direction we're headed. And I don't see the, the whiskey being a theme that will work every single place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have, that's why I call myself uh, the, the Blazing Onion Restaurant Group. Yeah. Because we have these three different styles. But I see that smaller version working more. And I see us adapting to new products like the plant-based, uh, using the Impossible Burger as an example. That was a great product for us. And I think we executed it very well but I don't know how often that will hit us and how often someone will come up with something new that's going to be such a hit as that. But when it does, we need to be there and ready to respond to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you talked a little bit about the political climate in Seattle, but uh, do you think the uh, economic climate um, will continue to be booming and will that work in your favor, uh, do you feel?
2: Well, economic climate, Booming sometimes means that um, to build a store what grows from 1.2 million to uh, 1.4 million because the bids just got suddenly higher because everybody's you know full of work. So some of the things that are great for the economy don't always work out great for an operator who is trying to grow their business. Um, there's a balance there. So I appreciate a great economy; it brings customers in, but it also hurts me on doing my construction. Um, the city of Seattle kind of relies on the economy. They they boast the economy. But in the background, they got small businesses closing. Uh, they got a lot of uh, for lease signs in the windows downtown. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to just really dig in deep to really find out the truth. Because the truth isn't just what someone throws in your face on a piece of paper.
1: Yeah. And I think certainly in the restaurant marketplace, we need more active members like you to kind of speak for all of us in terms of what we go go through. I think in many times uh, we in the restaurant industry get a so-called black eye uh, for some of the positions that we espouse that really are central to our well-being and livelihood but don't always appear that way to the outside public. And the more information we can get out about who we are and what we do, the better. And uh, I applaud you for uh taking a leading role in that for the industry. I
2: I will add to that, that it's not so easy to speak out. Uh, uh, The city might come after you, a union might come after you, your franchisor might come after you. Um, It's not so easy to speak out. Uh, People seem to like it when we're uh, trapped in silence. But the truth is, we don't make any changes unless we speak out, unless we take that chance. And and get out on the on our sidewalk and, and speak a little bit about what's actually going on. And I think the key is to not exaggerate what's going on, but speak on facts so that when they do a fact check, everything is there. And uh, I think we are short of those people that will get out there and do that, that will make the world better for restaurants.
1: Well, great. Well, Dave Jones, founder and CEO of Blazing Onion Burger and Whiskey Bar with your partner, wife, Lori. I want to thank you very much for participating in our podcast, and I hope we can do it again very soon.
2: Sounds very good. Thanks, Jerry, for having me, and thank your audience for listening.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for joining us today, and many thanks to David Jones for his brand growth tips and challenges, and for his insights into today's workforce. Subscribe to Fast Casual Insider for more fast casual industry insights. Available from all your favorite podcast providers. Episode produced by Dante32.